Brotherhood, multiplication, restoration. We are Sin Network. We're a family, planning churches together. Join us as we hear from leaders of this movement from across North America and discover what it really takes to plant churches everywhere for everyone. We are here today with two of our shepherding elders. We have Domingo Guyton and Wesley Price. We're going to continue um, and talk a little bit about some of the injustices that have been going on today. Um, yesterday, I was reading a tweet by Tony Dungy, and let me just kind of start there. Tony Dungy, was, he's a former NFL coach and also a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. He recently tweeted this. America is in a very sad place today. We have seen a man die senselessly at the hands of the very people who are supposed to be protecting our citizens. We have seen people protest this death by destroying the property and dreams of people in their own community. The very people they are protesting for, we have many people pointing fingers um, of blame, um, painting the opposite side with a broad brush. We have anger and bitterness winning over, over logic and reason. We have distrust and prejudice winning over love and respect. We have, we happen to, um, what happened to George Floyd was inexcusable and it should never happen. Justice needs to be served, but in seeking justice, we can't fall into the trap of prejudging every police officer we see. What started out as peaceful protests have devolved into arson and looting, and that should never happen either. Yes, there should be protests, but we don't have license to perform criminal acts because we're angry. Today, he says, we are a divided country. We're divided racially, politically, and socioeconomically. And Satan is laughing at us because that is exactly what he wants. Dysfunction, mistrust, hatred, help his kingdom to help his kingdom flourish. So that, that was a tweet that just came out just in light of all the stuff that was going on. And, you know, and over the next five weeks, we're going to be discussing as a church, you know, um, just like our cry out. And we've talked about an authentic lament in the face of injustice. You know, Dr. King has made a statement just kind of in a response that many people have, we've heard multiple times over these last couple of days. And, and one of the Dr. King's statement is, is that a riot is the voice of the unheard. There's a couple of things I want to talk to you guys about today, but I, I first want to kind of start there. When, when Dr. King makes that statement that a riot is the voice of the unheard, does that, um, what do you think? Does that give us justice to riot? Does that, like, what did he, what does that mean? What, what did he mean? You know, when saying that, because we people have often used that as a terms to to justify rioting. I would say definitely it's it's getting those who can't seem to understand why it's giving them the space to say, examine why those individuals are doing what they're doing. Don't look at the just say, oh, they're rioting. Say, why are they rioting? Yeah. Why are they out there doing what they're doing? They're burning down their own community. They're, you know, throwing bricks and stuff at police cars. Why are they, are they doing that? And that's a great place to start. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's really important. You know, one thing that when we do, when people are rioting, one of the first questions that we need to ask is why are they rioting, right? 
you know, and, and I think oftentimes people miss take that quote and they misheard kind of what Dr. King was actually saying, because in in this one, he was when he talked about that a riot is the voice of the unheard. While he was not condoning rioting, what he was ultimately saying is, is that we need to be just as concerned about the reason why people are rioting and we need to be just as active about the injustices uh, for the reasons why people are rioting than just simply the fact that they are rioting because it is a response. It is a reaction of people who felt like they haven't um, been heard. Yeah. yeah, rioting makes sense. It's not right, but it makes sense, especially when you, you take into account the fact that everybody, when pushed to a certain limit, mm -hmm. is going to respond, especially if we don't have the Holy Spirit, especially if we don't have emotional tools to know how to respond. Eventually, everybody can get to the point where you're going to rage out yeah. and where outrage is all you have left. Right. Right. And so I think that statement definitely he, he's 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 looking at the, the truth of it. Right. It's it's the voice of those who have had their voice taken away. Right. And that's the reason why we, we want to talk to you guys today about just this idea of the cry out. You know, when we talk about our cry out is an authentic lament. Right. In the face of injustice. And I think that that is so critical for us as we begin to wrestle with this, the tension, because over and over again, if you don't feel like you're being heard, you're going to eventually do something that you're not proud of. But you're going to do something to be heard of. Uh, uh, Pastor James Robeson um, of the bridge in New York, he said this one day, you know, just talking about this. He was just talking about it's sort of like a wife. Like if you have, you know, your spouse and your wife and over and over again, your spouse like, hey, can you help with this? Can you clean up that? Can you do this? Can you know, around the house? And each time you say, yeah, let me get to it. Uh, yeah, you know, and you have a reason why that one day when, you know, that, you know, she is in the kitchen, she's cooking and the baby's crying or whatever. She says, hey, can you get the baby? He says, yeah, yeah, let me finish this email first. And then all of a sudden she slams the, the thing, like the pot or the pan, you know, on the thing that says, I'm tired. I'm, I'm tired of this. I, I'm tired of you, you know, giving me a reason why that I need to wait. I need to, you know, and she's just like, and she began to cry out. She began to think. And now while her reasons of slamming the pot and trying to do things may not be justifiable, it, do, it is a way and it is a form and sometimes an effective way to grabbing the attention of the person who hasn't heard her. And so when we talk about this idea of being unheard and what Dr. King was saying is that a riot is the voice of the unheard, that it is a way to, to like we need to listen to the injustices and we need to be just as vigilant about the injustices that are taking place that are causing people to, you know, verbally slam the pot to to cry out to riot in the midst of that, which leads me basically to another question about this, because oftentimes people are slamming the pot or they're rioting because they're unheard. But part of the reasons why they're unheard is because they don't see other people crying out. Mm -hmm. They don't see other people crying out. And that has been a, a, a constant call of why are we not crying out? I would love to hear you guys' thoughts, you know, about why isn't everybody crying out? It's a difficult, it's multifaceted answer. It's, um, some of it's desensitized. You see so much of this, I mean, I, I've been disconnected pretty much until yesterday. Yeah. And yesterday, when we got on a call and stuff, and then I, I began to get, and then I just got fired up and, and, and just 
can't sleep up all through the night since yesterday, the last, say, 24 to 36 hours. But what made you, what made you desensitize? What made you numb out? Because this, what has happened this week to Brother Floyd is something that has been happening since Jesus Christ. This man was publicly lynched. He was lynched. And what's different is that the savior of the world, when he was publicly lynched on Golgotha, it was there in front of everybody to see. They wrote what happened down and we read about. So what's different from that to Rodney King is that for, I mean, in between 1870 to 1920, you have over 2,500 public lynchings of people being lynched in public saying, hey, this is your family member, this is your friend, this is an example, you need to look at this example and this could be you if you're a white person and you're supporting people of color, you could be publicly lynched too. And they would take pictures of these lynchings and, and pass them around as postcards. So what I'm saying is that these things, so now you have Jesus Christ publicly lynched, it's put in writing, you have these photograph, these pictures that are taken in, the, in between the reconstruction era going all the way through 1920, 30, and that's the photography. But now let's, let's move it up to 1991. So finally, all these years in the, in the civil rights movement, you, you can see them getting hosed down, the dogs being sicked on them, people are watching that on public TV, and they're going, this is an outcry that those kids are being attacked. And so what happens with Rodney King is that, which totally turned the uh, page, is that somebody inside their house had a video camera and was videotaping what we've been talking about for years. And finally, you can see a man on all four being beat with batons severely for minutes. Him not even, do, he's just laying there and they're just beating on him. And then those cops get off not guilty. The the. Of course, you know, the, the, the city is up in flames. And so from that, ever since then, now we're in a state where, the, say, the last 10 years, we have cell phones. And since we have phones, now everybody can videotape. So we watched a public lynching that somebody videotaped, and more than likely, they're probably going to get off. Right. And so you're just basically, you're saying that you have been desensitized because since that time, since King, and since the advent of the video camera, the cell phone, it has become commonplace, you know, specifically for us as African-American men, specifically seeing this taking place over and over and over again. Is this, and it's really a way of survival, right? It's just like I, got, like I can't continually get so emotionally in, involved, you know, that I have to numb out. You know, and I think that that to me is, is, is a very sad thing and because it's when we numb out to things that we begin to rage out. And I think that's, again, because we numb out because we don't think that our voice matters. And this is why we want to take this time just really to have honest conversations of, of the reasons why. The reasons why we numb out. The reasons why we rage out, you know, in so many different ways, which come, brings us back to the, what Dr. King said, that a riot is the voice of the unheard. And it's the unheard, in order to survive, feels like they have to numb out. As, as a white man, as an elder, as a shepherd, not that you need to speak for all white people, right, but yeah. as a white man, when you hear about whether it be black or minority fatigue, when you hear about numbing out, like being desensitized, I'm tired, like, like what did that do for you? Um, I believe strongly that there is a white shame when it comes to black pain. 
I don't know what to do with that. I can never experience that. I, I won't have that set of lenses to ever really look through and peer through. And I don't, and I'm, I'm also associated with a group of people who are perpetrators in that. Yeah. So when I take those things together, there's a sense of a feeling of inability to do something and inability to, to identify. And that shame generally has been reinforced, I think, in white communities to one of the, the primary responses to shame. Because shame's like a spotlight. Yeah. And it gets shined on the things in us that are defective, deficient, right? And when that light gets turned on, we want to look away. That's, yeah. that's, just, that's our human yeah. nature. But I think there's been a mechanism put in place for a long time that when white people experience black pain, they want to avoid or withdraw from the situation as quickly as possible. Now, there's other responses too. You, you, you sometimes attack yourself or attack other people right. when, when you're pressured with, with shame, with being shamed. Right. And that's the same thing that kind of, when we talk about fear, is this the fight, flight, or freeze right. mentality that comes Right, over and us. so that, that flight mentality, yeah. that withdrawal and avoidance, I think has been the main mechanism that a lot of white folks have used when they come in contact with black pain because it's just like, I don't know what to do. I think that's why you hear so often when these things happen, white people are going, what do I do? What do I say? What so is that, is that what we're saying is like in the terms of white people numb out on the minority side? Again, we're not speaking for everyone, but on the minority side, sometimes it's like we get to desensitize and we numb out and we're not crying out in these because like, like nothing, like we're unheard. It's not, nothing's going to change. And what you're saying is, is that it's the fight flight you know, a freeze mentality that oftentimes in the majority culture can taking place. But ultimately, sometimes it's us dealing with our shame and just recognizing our limitations, our, like, our, our inability, like we don't know what to do in so many different ways or so many different things that like we don't know what to do in this situation or that's taking place. So, but again, just wanted to just kind of like the, the idea of why isn't everybody crying out? I think that that's just an important thing because I, I hear so many of us are so like that's what hurts more than even the like seeing it over and over again that that hurts just as much as like that you're not grieving mm -hmm. with those who grieve you're not you're not you're not rejoicing with those who rejoice grieving with those who grieve and and oftentimes I talk about this idea of that a problem is not a real problem unless it's our problem you know and we got much time you know over the weeks that we're going to unpack it but the reality is is that a real problem becomes a real problem when it's your problem. And that happens for two reasons. Something becomes my problem for two reasons. One is because of proximity and the other because of relationships, right? The idea that it's a real problem because it's our problem, that has to do with this idea of this is a problem. This is in Georgia. They're rioting in Georgia. They are rioting, you know, a couple of miles from where we're sitting today that people are rioting. That becomes our problem. People are saying, is it, is it safe? People are calling me. Like, is it safe in Atlanta? What's going on in Atlanta? Friends and family that are, that are, that are calling me and asking me about that. that. That's because of proximity. The other thing that a problem becomes a real problem because of relationship. And relationships, oftentimes, that something may not be a real problem to me, but it's a problem because it's my wife's problem. And because it's my wife's problem, it's a real problem. But the problem is, is that most of our churches are homogeneous, right? And most of our neighborhoods oftentimes are people who look like me, talk like me, and act like me. So our proximity are homogeneous in many ways. 
And then our friendships are homogeneous. You know, it's often been said that the 11 o'clock hour is the most divided hour, but I would say that the most divided hour in the most divided spaces is actually the 6 o'clock hour and our homes are the most divided spaces. And it's in real and authentic relationships is where that's the most divided. And so this is the reason why oftentimes we don't feel the pain that oftentimes others that are feeling that there's a cry out. But biblically, biblically, God has called us to rejoice with those who rejoice. And so the question becomes this blueprint, like, why are we? Why are we deciding to cry out and about this specific thing? And I would say it's a couple of reasons. One is because it's impacting and affecting people in our city directly, in our nation. But then two, it is directly impacting people and people are seriously grieved individually that in our body and we grieve with those who grieve. And so I really think that this is important for us to, to understand that. And what God is asking us to do is to raise up prophets and to call us to a prophetic lament. Wesley, share a little bit about just the idea of prophetic lament and why a corporate call to lament is a good and accurate first step. Yeah, you know, the, the prophets in the Old Testament uh, would often have to call Israel to wake up to the reality of the need for lamenting, right? Or, or they would have to call out to the Lord and point out something that's happened and say to the Lord, how long? How long is this going to take place? So there's this tradition in the Old Testament, and we, we, we see this, I think we also see this in places like Revelation 6, mm -hmm. right? The voices that are under the throne, they cry out, how long, O Lord? Um, th this tradition calls us into a place where, if I get back to shame again for a second, remember our, our, our response is to look away from it, yeah. right? To, to go, no, I don't want to see that. But sometimes the prophetic lament begins with a prophet who calls out and says, look, look at this place. Go through this feeling yeah. to the place of the heart of the Lord because something wrong has happened. Yeah. Right. And when we do that as a as a community, there's a sense of together we are sharing in this sense of the sadness and the grief and we're bringing it all before the Lord and he's seeing us all together as one. And it's, it's a, a call, unfortunately, in the Old Testament often was not responded to. Um, but when, when the Lord responds to, to that call, to that response um, from the people, it often res resulted in him saying, giving some type of assurance. But oftentimes, and this is the sad thing about it too, it doesn't fix anything. He often says, wait, yeah. a little while longer, that's how long. Yeah. But he, then there's the assurance of, I promise you one day I'm going to set all this to right. Yeah. So be my people and I'm going to be with you, present among you. And your, what distresses you will distress me. Yeah. Right? He says that in Isaiah 61. The, you, the distress of my people has become my distress. Yeah. And so when we go to that place together, we're together, the Lord is with us, and there's a genuine place to really grieve and take our pain. Yeah, I love what you're saying. This is the idea of embracing powerlessness, but not hopelessness, yes. right? We have hope because we can take our hope and lament and cry out to a God who has all power. 
and that will grieve with those who grieve, that he is a high priest that can sympathize and empathize with us. He knows our pain. He understands our pain. And I think that that is a critical. And I think that this is the reason why, you know, when we talk about this idea of a public or corporate lament, a collective, is that we need prophets we need you, Blueprint. We need one another to stand up and we need to allow our hearts to cry out in truthful ways and in real ways. And this is why over these few weeks that we want to talk about how, how do we authentically lament in the face of injustice? How do we embrace it and prophetically raise up in, in a biblically imbalanced way to talk about, to allow people to grieve and to give people voice, you know, so that we can stop rioting? Right. So that we can stop rioting because a riot is the voice of the unheard. And what we want to do is that we want to raise up individuals Mm -hmm. in our church so that they can be heard. So that so that and we can take active ways to address this, you know, the this the injustices in our in our context. And so I really appreciate you guys, you know, coming in and. And again, for those of you who are like, we were going to continue the conversation. We want to hear from you. And so after the song of worship, um, join us on Facebook Live. Um, if you are on the website, click on the link. But if you are on the Facebook page, just hit refresh and then join the, continue in the conversation as we all cry out as a church. You have been listening to We Are Sin Network, a resource of the North American Mission Movement. For more information about today's podcast and other relevant resources, visit sendnetwork.com.